Good evening, everyone. And thank you very much for joining with us again this evening. One of the advantages, I suppose, of this type of service is that we don't have to go out tonight into the freezing cold and the ice and try to make our way into present. Uh, we can actually sit in our own homes, various rooms in the warmth and the heat. But this evening we come to the third and the final topic on the study in the book of Habakkuk. It's certainly a very interesting book. It's one of the minor prophets. And I personally, as I have studied in preparation, have learned a lot about it. I'd like to talk to you very briefly about my greatest fear. I am absolutely terrified of heights. As a matter of fact, I struggle with height of any sense or any, any type. Many, many years ago, I took a Bible class in Broadway Gospel Hall. And with the Bible class and the Youth Fellowship, we went one day to the Giant's Causeway. And as we went to the Giant's Causeway, we decided to go for a walk on what was then called the Middle Path, or sometimes called the Lower Cliff Path. It is closed in 1994, one, because it was so hazardous, but also because there had been a landslide. And so we started off on this Lower Cliff Path, and I was apprehensive to say the least, but I was coping until we got to a point in the path where it narrowed to more, no more than a couple of feet in width. Behind me was a cliff face, and to the other side of me was a drop straight down into the ocean, 30, 40 feet of a drop. And I had to negotiate or try to negotiate my way around a point on this cliff path. My legs turned to absolute jelly. I couldn't move. I was absolutely terrified. My knees were quaking. I couldn't move an inch. I froze. And so I stood there, and, and that is how I respond and how I react to fear. And in many ways, what I have just described to you resonates with one of the passages in our discussion tonight, when Habakkuk describes how he felt when he heard and realized who and what God was going to do. But let's just very briefly remind ourselves of what we have been discussing. We have been looking at this book and we've been asking ourselves some questions, or at least Habakkuk has been asking them. Do you know what I'm going through or what our nation is going through? Are you there to help me? And God, are you sure you're there? And we have been looking over the last two weeks at how Habakkuk addresses these questions and how God responds. The first complaint that Habakkuk had was, how long will I cry out? How long will I listen? Will you not, why will you not listen? And we'd reminded ourselves of the problems that the nation was facing. This is the nation of the Jewish people, Judah, the people of Israel. And they were face, facing these enormous issues. And he cries out, how long will I cry out? And God responded and said to him, look among the nations and watch, because I'm raising up the Babylonians. And they're a bitter and a hasty nation. And God says, you have arranged for the Babylonians to bring judgment onto the people of Judah. What do you mean? How can you manage to do that? These people are wicked, they're idolaters, they're extreme wickedness, extreme cruelty. And God says, don't worry, at the time I will speak and 
it will come. It certainly will come. But don't think they will go away without actually being punished. Because these men and this nation of Babylon, which I will use, and then he used five woes to describe what would happen to the nation. And I came to the conclusion that God is a just God and that God would bring to an end this nation of Babylon. And we finished last week with the phrase, the makers of the idols will be totally silenced when they become when they come before the holy God dwelling in his temple. When they come before the holy God dwelling in his temple. And so our title tonight is I Have Heard, and I'd ask, like to add an additional title, I've Heard, Lord, and I Stand in Awe. Habakkuk chapter 3 is a very well-known passage. Some of it, some of our older members will remember that part of it was actually put to song, which we used to sing in, in church. But it's also an extremely controversial text in the Bible. Many people look at it and approach it from various different ways, and there's a lot of discussion about virtually every facet of the text. We can look at it from a future point of view. We can look at it as something that is to happen in the future. But I would like to focus this evening on a historical point of view, fully aware that there is a future interpretation. But rather than complicating and making things more difficult in the 20 minutes that we have, I just want to refer and deal with the text as Habakkuk would have understood it in the context in which he was living and leave the discussions regarding the future and the future interpretations to possibly another person at another time. But what we would need to do is divide up this little section and it divides up neatly into six little sections. We have a superscript or, or if you like an introductory sentence. Then we have a prayer and a petition. Then we have God and splendor, God and mighty power. Then we have a statement of confidence that Habakkuk makes, a statement which is so well known, and then a subscript. And so what I want to do is to take these as our headings and very quickly go through the text and see what we can learn from Habakkuk this evening. So we start with the superscript and the subscript, because both of them are very, very closely linked. If you read the first sentence of the passage, you'll read a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth. And nobody knows what this term means. A similar term appears in one of the Psalms, but most people and most scholars interpret it to mean some kind of musical process, musical tune, musical methodology. And this is reinforced by the last sentence in the book and the last sentence in the chapter, because it finishes with Habakkuk saying, this is for the chief musician and it's to be played with my stringed instruments. And so the two of them link this last piece to the fact that it is not just a prayer, but it actually reads more like a psalm. We have an opening statement and a closing statement that clearly show that this is to be sung. And so what we have is a remarkable situation in that Habakkuk has come to this point and he is now willing to sing. And that very much raises the issues as to how and why did Habakkuk feel that he could sing. So we move into verse two, which is the prayer and a prayer and petition. You see, it's very appropriate that it is a prayer and petition because chapter two, as we have already mentioned, says that God is in his holy place in his holy temple. And so that will provide us that transition of moving from chapter two into the prayer in chapter three. 
But when we read the prayer, we see Habakkuk's reverence and awe as he is made aware of the Lord in his holy temple. And as I look down through this passage, it's one of the things that strikes me time and time again is the reverence and awe with which he speaks to God. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That would be the prayer before he moves into the pet petitions and, and the psalm. A more modern version, a paraphrase says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. But the NIV says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Whenever we come to talk to God, we should realize that we speak to him in awe. It is true that he is our Abba Father, but it is also important that whenever we refer to him, that we do so with reverence and address him with the awe that he desires. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. The Reverend Pussy has written a series of books which are on the, the minor prophets. And he says this, the prayer of the prophet in the strictest sense is contained in the words of verse 2. The rest in its form, praise and thanksgiving, chiefly for God's past mercy in the deliverance from Egypt and entering into the promised land. And so therefore, if you look at it from a historical point of view, you will see that what Habakkuk is resting upon is those things which have occurred in the past, in the nation's past, and in which God has been seen, and in which God has appeared in splendor. And which brings us to our third section, chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, which says this, God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the earth heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he revealed his power. And what we have here is a remarkable thing. We have what is called, in theological terms, a theophany. It shows God's awesome presence and, and God's majestic power. And what do we mean by a theophany? Well, it is a biblical theology of God's appearing. Each time that God appears to his people throughout the Bible, in the form of a thunderstorm, a man, a warrior, a chariot. He comes for a specific person, purpose, to a specific person for a specific purpose. And each of these temporary appearances are called theophanies. And it helps us to better understand who he is anticipating his climatic, permanent self-revelation in the incarnation of Christ. So goes the introduction to this book. God appearing temporarily throughout the Bible. For example, whenever Moses saw the burning bush, it was a theophany. Or we could narrate others. But every time we have a theophany, we have God's awesome presence and power being depicted. And many recognize and accept that this section which I have just read is a theophany. But before we look at that, it's important that we don't ignore this little word, Selah. Now, because it is a psalm, because it is sung, 
that it is in there three times. And it's unique because it's the only time out of the, the Psalms themselves that we actually see this. And it, and it means to pause, means to slow down. It's probably a musical term. Slow down and think. And all too often, we don't in our world. We don't approach God with awe. We don't approach God with reverence. And we don't take time. We don't take time to allow our minds to settle. And so what Habakkuk is doing on three occasions in this little chapter is that he calls us to sila, to pause, to rest, to consider. So what we have then is his majestic power, God coming in, in his splendor. He says, God is the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory, he says, covered the heavens. And the whole picture that has been portrayed here is almost like the sun rising in the east. And it's interesting that Mount Paran and Mount Terran are in, both in the east. And as, they, as Habakkuk refers to them, they're aware the sun rises. And he says his brightness was like the light. And then he says his ray, that rays flash from his hands. You have this majestic picture, this theophany of God, almost depicting the brightness of the morning sun breaking into the darkness, moving from the east, covering the heavens, a brightness like a light, and rays flash from his hands. And if that was all that it is, in itself it is quite extraordinary. But when we go to the book of Deuteronomy, we read these words. The Lord came from Mount Sinai and shone forth from Mount Paran with flaming fire in his right hand. And that very verse takes us back to what Habakkuk is describing here. And maybe in the history that he is describing, as he is looking back, he is looking back to Mount Sinai. And what happened there and the majesty and the glory and the Shekinah glory of God. Maybe he's referring back to that cloud and the pillar of fire. Maybe he's referring back to the protection and the guidance of the theophany of God. And here we have this remarkable picture of God coming in splendor. But then we read that God stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. The Lord came in mighty power. It's not just a theophany. He is now going in to describe his awesome presence and power. He stood and measured the earth. Look at the verbs. He stood. If you or I were to measure anything, we would have to pace it out or take a measuring stick and, and walk the length with it. But God, in his mighty power, stood and measured the earth. And then he goes on to say he looked and startled the nations. Now, as a school teacher, I would have inherited, as all teachers do, the capacity to look into a classroom as children and get their attention by just looking. But that's the limit of my power. But God, he looked, just looked, and startled the nations. In other words, one look from Almighty God, and the nations quivered, and the nations shook. 
And Habakkuk goes on to say that his ways aren't temporary. His ways aren't just for the moment. His ways are everlasting. So we have this omnipresent, powerful, eternal God, the Lord who came in mighty power. And then Habakkuk changes the pronoun. And it's important that we note the change in the pronoun. Prior to this, he was describing God as he. And then in verses 8 to 15, he changes that pronoun to you. He says, you were displeased with the rivers, your anger against the rivers, your wrath against the sea. You rode on your horses. Your bow was made quite ready. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. You marched through the land. You trampled the nations. You went forth for salvation for your people. You walked through the sea. You overcame the rivers. You overcame the mountains. You overcame the sun and the moon. You overcame the nations. I'm sure as you consider yourself incidents in the Old Testament, and in particular as the people of Israel move from Egypt to the Promised Land, that you can identify situations where God in his mighty power was victorious. I'm not going to take time, nor does time permit this evening, to go to each one of these individually. But you could see in that narrative of their history that God was in total victorious power. The terminology that he uses, that Habakkuk uses, to describe God in this section is as a victorious warrior, one who comes and with little effort conquers and destroys. And so he speaks directly not about God, but he speaks directly to God, recognizing who God is. So what has Habakkuk done? He's noted that in the history of his people, the Jewish people, the time of bringing them into the promised land, that God had accomplished great work in the past. So he is now confident that he would deliver his people from Babylon and bring them back to their homeland. After they'd be taken into captivity, bring them back once again. And I believe that what Habakkuk is saying here, that after the darkness of captivity, God would be a sunrise of freedom and hope. And that is why I think we see the terminology and the usage of the words which Habakkuk uses to describe how God in the past, in their history, had demonstrated that he was a God of power, he was a God of victory, and he was an eternal God. But then we move to the last section. And this is a section that we are most familiar with and people would have quoted and even have displayed on walls and picture frames around their homes. And it's a statement of confidence. Here's what Habakkuk says at the end of the book. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread in high places. Yet, I will wait. And as we've looked at this little book, isn't it amazing the number of times that we find Habakkuk waiting? But this time, what is he waiting for? He said, I am terrified at what will take place. It takes me back to the description that I used for you as I stood in that cliff path. Heart pounding in his chest, lips quivering, quivering, physically weak, hardly able to stand. What does God say? Wait. You see, all too often I have heard it said that we should not be afraid. And that is true. But yet throughout the Bible we read time and time and time again that man is afraid. What would be the sounds be like without fear and David and Moses and others expressing their fear? You see, it is natural. We can't just shut off fear. It is too common, too easy to just say, don't fear. There are people listening to this this evening and you are aware, afraid. You are heart pounding, lips quivering, physically weak, knees shaking, hardly able to stand. It's not wrong to feel that. It's natural to feel that. In the midst of all that you face, it is absolutely normal. And while you may be putting on a very brave face, and while you may be going out even into the building, whenever we were meeting together, and nobody knows anything that is wrong, at three o'clock in the morning when you're waking up, and you realize that that surgery has been postponed, or the test results have not come in, or your business is not doing very well, or you're concerned about your family, or on a personal level even about your own future. It is okay to be afraid. It is okay to shake. But it's how we respond in the midst of that, that it is the difference between a Christian and non-Christian. You see, Habakkuk says, for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us, I'm going to wait. He says, what is coming is terrifying. He said, I've seen it in chapter 2. What I have heard you are going to do, Lord, really terrifies me. I'm afraid. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to trust in God. And that is the difference. I am going to wait and trust in God which allows Habakkuk to say, I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. And then he goes on to describe about how the, the fig tree will not blossom and there be no fruit in the vine. What he is talking there is not just a, an inconvenience. What he is talking there is about is, is famine. What he is talking about there is economic deprivation. What he is talking about there is terrifying in the extreme. And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Sing. You know, whenever I think of Paul and Silas, for example, when they were captured and caught and taken into the prison in Philippi, 
They were cast down into the darkness of that prison cell and the dump and into darkness and, and all that's associated with it. Extremely unpleasant. They were able to sing. And why were they able to sing? Because you see, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And finally, strength. He says, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills. I have to be very careful when I read this, because I read at one time whenever I was preaching, and I read, he will make me walk on the high hills. But no, he's making me walk in the high hills. But walking on high hills almost brings me to the point of the deer's feet. Because the deer's feet are like a little point. They pick their way. We're not talking here about the deer that we would see in forestry here in the UK. We're talking about the deers which would have occupied the Holy Land, which would have lived on the sides of mountains. They were more like a goat, if you like, in our description. And they were absolutely certain on how they walked. They say that the remarkable thing is as those deer would clamber up the hillside and place their two front feet on the ground, their two rear feet will follow exactly in the same footprint that they established with their front feet. He will be absolutely secure. He won't stumble. He won't fall. He will make my feet like deer's feet. Notice it's in the, the future tense. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk in the high hills. I know that we would love walking in the high hills, but in reality, walking in the high hills is a relatively modern phenomenon. People didn't have the capacity or didn't have the ability to walk into the high hills, not just the little hills that we have here in Northern Ireland, but into the mountains. There were places that were forbidden. There were places that were terrifying. And yet he says, God will give me the strength to make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk in the high hills. You see, God doesn't simply remain in heaven as a spectator and leave us, as to, uh, leave us to do the best we can on our own to get through the trials. It's whenever we need the strength. It's whenever we need the support. It's whenever we need his feet. It's whenever we need to be like the deer. It's whenever we need him to help us walk, that the strength will be there. You know, sometimes I'm sure like me, you wonder, I don't know how I'm going to cope. I don't know how I will face tomorrow. I don't know how I will deal with. And if we knew what was lying ahead as God says to Habakkuk in chapter 1, if you knew what I was going to be doing, you wouldn't want to know. But whenever you face that, that is the point at which the strength comes. And so you wait on the Lord. You rejoice in the Lord. You have strength in the Lord because he will come beside you and he will be your support in the moment of crisis. Habakkuk was facing an enormous crisis. Nothing like I was facing on the day that I walked around 
the middle path here closed off from the Giant's Causeway. This is as far as you can go today. But you can see there in the distance a little gap in the rock. That's where the middle path used to go through and on round. And what happened to me that day? I froze there. I stood with my back against the wall. I couldn't move. My heart was pounding. My lips were dry. I couldn't even move my legs. I was absolutely terrified. And a person that you all know, he was in my Bible class at that time, Walter Lockhart. He was a young boy, a young fella, a teenager at that time. He realized the predicament I was in. And he said, David, come with me. And, David, and Walter took my arms and he had his back to the cliff edge. And he said, come with me. Let's go together step by step. And as I started to look down at the sea and the, the fall, he said, no, no, don't look at that. Look at me. And he took me around step by step until I felt secure enough again to walk. You know, it's not wrong to be afraid. But it is wrong to be afraid and not trust. To realize that there is a God who is one who cares. To realize that there is a God who is willing to take you by the hand. To take you and navigate you step by step around difficult points in life and to take you onto solid ground. The strength will be there, not when you're thinking about it, but when you need it. And at that point, like Habakkuk of old, you may be able to even sing and may be able even to rejoice as you realize you're not walking this journey alone. This is where we started. Why study Habakkuk? We said it's living by faith in difficult times. Another entitled was from worry to worship. And the last one was fear to faith. If you go to the very center of the book of Habakkuk, it is in many ways a type of poetry, a chiastic type of poetry. And when you go to the very center, the very central phrase in the whole of the book is the just shall live by faith. Those who are righteous will trust in me and I will be their security. I will be their stability. You know, Warren Wearsby says, God doesn't always change the circumstances but he can change us to meet the circumstances. And that is the message of the book of Habakkuk. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you that you're a God who cares. We thank you, our Father, that you're a compassionate and a merciful God, that you are a loving God, that you understand our frailty, you understand our weakness, you understand our fear. But our Father, we thank you that in the midst of it, 
in the midst of that quaking knees, that pumping heart, those dry lips, as Habakkuk describes, that we can rejoice because we have a God who is willing to take us, to guide us, to take our attention to him and to lead us through the difficult ground onto stable ground. We thank you, our Father, for this little book. We thank you for the message which is so relevant to us today, especially in this age and at this time in which we live. And we ask our Father that you help us to echo the words of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.